Thank you. Well, I almost fell out of my chair when that song happened in the studio. Hello and welcome back to the Ear Fuel Podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at @getearfuel and at the Daily Guru. The podcast is always available in the iTunes and Google Play stores under Ear Fuel and at getearfuel.com. So glad to finally be back with all of you after an unintentional six-week break. Originally, I was going to take the month of July off. But my voice and my respiratory system had other plans, and I'm glad to be able to speak properly again. So glad to be here, and my apologies to the folks I interviewed over the next three episodes for the delay. Thankfully, though, they're awesome conversations that we had with some very cool musicians. What you heard at the top was one of those. It was a clip from my conversation with Caitlin Canty. And along with her new record, we discussed when real magic happens in the studio. Such a cool thing she talked about. Uh, How three different states that she lived in led to a unique brand of music and just, just tons more. We will dig into that right after a quick album review. The record I want to look at today is the long-awaited return of the band Belly, and the album is called Dove. Now, it has been more than 20 years since the last of their two outstanding 90s records came out. King and Star are absolutely flawless records, and Star in particular, I mean, I don't know if I've ever made it more than maybe 10 days without listening to that album in full since the early 90s. I love it. It is an exceptional record, and when I heard Belly was going to finally get back together, oh, was I happy. Now, here's the thing. In 2016, they did a reunion tour, and it was killer. And they then said, eh, we'll go and we'll record, and it was originally supposed to be an EP, but somehow or another, it ended up turning into a full length, and we, as people who love music, are the beneficiaries of that change. I'm going to level with everybody. Saying I love this record would be an understatement. I think a more accurate statement would be that I am mildly obsessed. One of the things I dig most about this is, though it's their first record in more than 20 years, the record is very now. It's not one of those nostalgia things where they're trying to make you think, oh, I remember this sound when I was a teenager and I loved it, and so my brain will tell me I love this as well. It's not to say either that they forgot who they are as a band. This is very much a belly record, but this is a belly record for 2018. It fits perfectly with where they are musically and where they are in their lives, but it is definitely that same band. There's just no question. It's it's almost impossible for bands to pull off what they did in that it sounds fresh, it sounds modern, but it's still enough of a throwback that you know this is the same core of musicians doing what they do best. The opening trio of the songs Mine, Shiny One, and Human Child are everything there is to love about rock and great songwriting. There's, there's no other way around it. The songwriting in every element is exceptional, and across the album there are just so many songs that you're just going to instantly sing along with. They've got big rock numbers, and then they're able to execute the the delicate, mellow moments as perfectly as ever on songs like Suffer the Fools and Heartstrings, and it reminds you why this band was so uniquely outstanding and amazing and exceptional in their time. I also really dig that there are even some country-western undertones on songs like Artifact, which is one of my favorite songs on the album, and you can just tell that they've been growing as musicians over the years, and they're not afraid to find ways to bring that into the band's sound. 
Along with so many great orchestrations, these lyrics might be some of Tanya Donnelly's finest, and she can write better than damn near anyone in her generation. The track Human Child, wow, that, that that's one of the best lyrics of the decade. There's just no question there. It's so good. Again, the band knows who they are now. The lyrics, the music, the everything. It's about now. They don't want to follow that train that so many other groups from their era are doing right now where they're just saying, hey, remember those three hits we had back in the day? They're saying, hey, this is what we can do now, and it's really damn good. Let me put it this way. Even if this was a band I wasn't already in love with, this is a record I dig big time anyway because it's just a great record. The music is awesome, the hooks are great, the sentiment, the feeling, the mood, the lyrics, the vocals, the everything. Dove is just a fantastic album beginning to end, and you must go spend some time with this one. Moving on. Caitlin Canty's new album is called Motel Bouquet, and I dug it from the first time I heard it. The album combines elements of folk and country and rock and lots of other stuff with an end result that I know you're going to enjoy. Lyrically, there's also tons to love here. And you know what? Just sit back and get to know Caitlin Canty. What part of the universe are you in today? Are you home? I'm home. I'm okay. in Nashville. Okay, because you're heading out on tour in a couple of days, right? Yeah, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> when, when reality just shows up and says, yeah, it's time to get All back right. out there. So. Got to find my suitcase. Right? Yeah. yeah, and just start repacking. You're, you're coming to New York, right? I think you're coming yes, to Rockwood, right? You got it. Cool. If my uh, seven-month-old uh, allows me, I'm going to try and make it to the show. Oh, good. that'd be amazing. It's an early one. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, not too punishing for all of us, but that'll be fun. It's with Noam Pakelny, so we're going to cool. do it around one mic. Yeah. And if you can make it even earlier, my friend Molly Pardon is opening, and she's going to sing a little backup for me too. But That's she's awesome. A really sweet singer-songwriter from Nashville. So. Yeah. Because you lived here for a while, right? Oh, my gosh. A decade. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then just it just wasn't working for you anymore? You just, you just, need, <laughs> you just needed that Nashville vibe? I sort of didn't, I, I hate to say it like this, but I didn't intend to live in New York that long. <laughs> I don't, I I don't know if any of us people. really do. We're just kind of like, yeah. yeah. For me, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go there for three months. And that was exactly eight, that was eight years ago. I'm with you. I, I got a free apartment and, um, oh. and a job right out of college. Yeah. So I was like, well, that makes sense. Sure. Why not and move there? Nashville's a lot easier on a touring musician, though. I got to think it's just easier on the body and the spirit, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. always, you know, New York is wonderful and it's got opportunities like nowhere else, but it's just, it kills you a bit inside. I always commiserate with folks who have kids who are hauling through airports because they're the only people who have a little more gear than I do. Sure. sure. <laughs> and... Um, so, but airports are, you know, similar to New York lifestyle. You know, you're always just rushing around trying to figure out how to get from one place to the next with all of your stuff. And so, and you have got a seven months old, month yeah. old, that must be a new perspective. Yeah. It's, it's a little tricky and I'm finding out all about all these things in the city I never knew existed, like music classes during the day and just, you know, oh. I'm like, really? I guess there are a lot of people who have kids in this city. <laughs> For real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're originally from Vermont though right? I am. I'm born and raised. So originally from Vermont, 
then went to New York City, and yet your music definitely leans towards country folk, which uh, most people probably mm-hmm. don't associate with Vermont all that much. Well, I've been touring around for a long time. I think, you know, in Vermont, I think we got a lot of the Tom Petty and the classic rock. And, sure. Um, yeah, so I grew up listening. You know, I wasn't um, – I was a sports kid. I was um, listening to the radio and whatever music came at me. I wasn't um, – diving into the archives and you know it wasn't the cool kid it was like check this out everybody and have have the new music f- to share with my friends sure. i was just consuming what was put in front of me and for a vermonter when i was growing up that was either cat country which was the radio station uh, my first boyfriend lived by the radio station so when you called him you would get cat country whether you liked it or not <laughs> <laughs> and then um but what i listened to was classic rock which was a heavy rotation of beatles tom petty led zeppelin repeat you know that was pretty much Can't what they had and they sprinkled choices no I, I wouldn't either and i think that was a pretty good diet um but my music if it leans country i mean i i will say this record leans more country than anything i've done mm-hmm. um it doesn't help that oh shit my alarm's going off reminding me to call you <laughs> god why it's is it doing good. that it's just the world is conspiring against you right now it just is like- Okay. Goodness gracious. All right. I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Technology is I'll not you, on my side tonight. A number of years ago, I went to see the New York Philharmonic <laughs> because they were playing Mahler's Ninth, which is my favorite classical piece of all time. And mm-hmm. this was uh, 2010, and a guy in the front row's iPhone alarm kept going off throughout the performance. There's an what? older guy who just, he clearly, oh, I think he, he couldn't was, figure it out. Yeah, I think he was just like pressing it to mute it and wasn't actually turning off. And uh, <laughs> it's a 47 minute piece. And like 28 or 29 minutes in, the conductor, Alan Gilbert, stops the New York Phil and just literally oh. turns around, looks at the, this guy and just says, is it OK if we continue now? And I was just like, wow, that he has to be going nuclear Whoa. right now. So um, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, I felt bad for the guy. So, Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, at that point, you just go to the bathroom and yeah, flush it down just, the toilet. Or you would think that, like, you know, someone from, <laughs> someone from you know, check it at least. yeah, an usher would have come up and said, uh, could you not? You know, wow. Maybe um, he was the original, you know, backer of the yeah, Philharmonic. Right, right. They couldn't tell him to leave. He gave way too much money. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're, yeah. So so uh, you kind of had your steady diet of Zeppelin. And are you were saying that this is your most country leaning record to date? Yeah, I think I I was a I was expecting folks to review it that way too. There's one song that has uh, pedal steel and fiddle yeah. on it, and it uh, it swings country, and I love that. I think my music set, tends to sit in the <laughs> real melting pot, that middle of the crossroads of American music, which takes a lot from blues and rock and roll and mm-hmm. country and folk and i you know some songs lean one direction more than the other but it's not just the listening to the song without any other information the fact that i moved to nashville i wear cowboy boots and there's pedal steel and fiddle is just like three in a row people are gonna put me right in that category yeah, but i yeah. i couldn't care less about genre i mean it's um i'm a songwriter so Whoever, you know, takes my songs and dresses them up, they can dress them up however they want, and so can I. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think that's kind of where, where the difference is. I was listening to it, and I'm like, musically, I know this is trying to say it's country, but lyrically, it's it's just, it isn't. You know, and, I, and I'm not trying to say mm-hmm. country is this, country is not that, but it's it's very much the singer-songwriter style. You know, the lyrics are, are mm-hmm. far more poetic than I expected in a very good good way, and it's got that, that subtle <laughs> power you. in them. Do your songs start with lyrics? 
Not often. Only one song on this record started with lyrics and the music came afterwards. Mm. I I tend to write what I've sort of termed song seeds. They're just little ideas that have usually a lyric and a musical idea uh-huh. wrapped together. And that usually is where a song you know grows from. But um, the song Who I wrote top to bottom and I had those lyrics just waiting for some music to come along and I, I didn't actually get the song together until I I got this old um, Kalamazoo guitar and old KG-11 uh-huh. that I tuned down a full step so it's really the strings are pretty slack and it's um, it, it's much lower <laughs> sounding than a lot of other guitars you know and, and I just it's so mournful and so when I started playing that guitar the song just poured into place yeah yeah when i was writing about the record i was just taking notes and my thoughts on it i'm looking at it right now for who i wrote gorgeously mournful Um, so (laughs) cool yeah and and you know the orchestration on that just makes it so much more intense and uh, oh thank you well i almost fell out of my chair when that song happened in the studio i um it was the last song the last day we were in in this session (laughs) And um, first, Noam took the instrumental break, and it was beautiful. He was playing a plectrum guitar, that resonator, tricone, nice. that funky-looking four-string that he plays at shows. And and that was beautiful. And then Stuart Duncan comes in with his fiddle solo over the end, and I almost fell out of my chair. I really like just couldn't believe it was happening on a song I wrote. Yeah. And it was really the, that last minute in the studio. It's so emotional, and you've just put everything you've got you left it all in the field mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just, I can't, we don't have a long enough podcast for me to just rave about <laughs> the folks who played on this record. But I, but since I'm starting, I will say yeah. all of the people who played, um, they're, they're so well known for their own music. They've got their legends in their own right. And folks like that have their own voice. They shine very brightly and what was amazing to me was how egoless and supportive this whole cast was. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody from like someone said they loved Aoife Donovan's um, backing vocals. And I'm such a huge fan of her solo music and her new band. I'm with her mm-hmm. and I've, I've gone to her shows. Uh, she lived, she and I lived in New York city about the same time. Okay. And um, so I'm an enormous fan. And I was just, so struck by how she had that ability to shine and be an individual voice, but also a supportive harmony singer. She's just insane. And the the rest of the musicians who were live in the room with me were just, um, it's, it's, they were bringing their own ideas. They were, um, you know, contributing without changing where the spotlight was and the spotlight was always on the song and what was best for the song and keeping my voice front and center where, you know, I've, I've played a lot by this point and I've done a lot of sessions that are either not released or for other objectives. And it's a rare thing when you can get such high caliber talent and high caliber human beings all in one package in the same room. It felt like the song, you know, the record was done in three days and I am so bummed that we didn't like book 20 days just so I could have yeah, fun. Right, just you could have, right. Let's do another couple. <laughs> Let's do a triple record. <laughs> exactly. So you did okay, the whole thing in just three days? That was it? Mm-hmm. Um, originally, so the, the band 
Paul Coart, another, all these folks are, are living in Nashville. So Stuart Duncan played fiddle. Paul Coart played bass. Jerry Rowe was on drums. Noam Pekelny was producing and playing electric guitar, where he's more known for banjo and yeah. Punch Brothers. And then we had Russ Paul on pedal steel. And uh, we were in Josh Grange's studio. He's a wonderful musician, and he's got a fantastic studio in his backyard here. So... Noam and I had been, we'd co-written two songs. We'd been playing a couple shows together and I was trying to get one song for a project that I wasn't fully behind, but mm. I was like, I got to just go to the studio and get this one song and then I'll feel great about it. And we went into the studio for a day with this band and we got four songs and booked two more days because right, it was just right. The magic two. was there. <laughs> yeah. And so all of my work prior had gone out the window, but um, it just, when it feels right, you got to run after it. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So yeah, went, <laughs> went in to do a single and came out with an album. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. so were these, so, you know, when you realized, wow, I've got, I've got, you know, lightning in a bottle here. Um, <laughs> did you just kind of go back to song, the, the song fragments, the seeds that you'd had before and said, let's see if this can become something? No, we had actually been working. So Noam had backed me up on some of these songs. And I tend to air out songs and, and test them out when I'm sure. touring. So I have new songs that have been unrecorded and I'll either sound check with them or I'll slip them into a set or I'll play them at, around town in a, in a jam at someone's in someone's living room or something. You know, that's So Noam was well aware of those songs he had co-written to. And whenever he played a song with me, he was always – if it was on the fly and he hadn't heard it before, it would, um, <laughs> it would just be one of the, you know, best takes on that song that I'd been playing for years. You yeah, know, I was just yeah. always taken aback by his on the fly, um, contributions. But then when we started working on songs, or I'd show him new ones, his ideas about arrangements or, um, just a, sim a simple thing like, Hey, did you ever think about starting that one with the chorus? And I would be like, I can't believe I've played that song for five years and never <laughs> done that. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, or his, it was just um, a natural fit. And so we had done, I, I tried out some of these songs in different sessions for a while. I, um, I think my oldest song on this record, I tried on Reckless Skyline. I tried it as a duet. It never felt right. And then, you know, brought it, it was, so it was ready to go for mm -hmm. this band. And, um, some other songs were brand new, but when you know you're going into the studio, you make sure you've got your charts in order. You've tried out as many um, curveballs as you can handle yourself. So the band is getting, you know, a, a little bit of a roadmap, but yeah, still able yeah. to bring their ideas. So Noam and I had run through a lot of these songs. It wasn't um, when we booked the second two days, they weren't the, the next day. That got helps it. make a little more sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a, a week or two later. Yeah, it gave yourself some breathing time. Exactly. So which was the old song that, you know, you finally found the right feel for? Leaping Out. I've had, that song was maybe the first song I had written for Reckless Skyline. Okay. And I tried to put it on that record and it just didn't feel right. I tried to put it on my EP that followed after and I cut it. Just, and I've been playing it for a while, but that's the only song that's been really following me around looking mm -hmm. for a home <laughs> here here is where you live now yeah enjoy this it just felt so i loved the way this band approached it there's you know these guys can play a lot of notes and they can play them fast but 
that song felt almost drunk. You know, everyone was yeah, it's like a little to it almost. Yeah. yeah, it felt like the late night when the band is done playing, but they haven't gone home yet, and they're um, still playing because it's what we do. Sure, <laughs> everyone sure. else goes home and we keep playing. Yeah, it's just um, loose and yeah, yeah, it's got a yeah. really cool feel to it. And that's how I wanted it, so I I felt like I lucked out, lucked into the right right folks for that song. Yeah, and, and, and I found out, you know, it, it was also a little different because a lot of these kind of share almost an understated breakup feeling. Um, the, mm. it, the, the record seems very kind of looking back at relationships in the past uh, lyrically. Mm-hmm. Was, was Is this speaking to anything specific? Yeah, I, I left an entire life behind when I moved to Nashville. I, I had always been pining to come here, but I I got a crush on this city mm-hmm. and... I moved here in a painful way over the course of, uh, you know, there was a breakup involved, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, these aren't breakup songs. I right. think like a lot of times when I write love songs, honestly, they're more um, a mixed bag of people and places, honestly, that I'm um, either longing for or pining for. Mm-hmm. And so I I was definitely aware of some of that thematically coming into this song, this uh, record, through these songs, but, and I tend to not want that to be my story ever. So I, you know, I can get a little cagey about it, but I really, you know, I haven't had, it's rare in your life when you have sharp uh, breaks, there's a sharp before and after, and it's very clear what was before and what was after. Mm -hmm. And so some of these songs, um, they're, on either side of that divide, I think either were written before or were um, me looking at the before or the after. And then there's, I think the way I was starting to see it, you know, there's this, this all arises after you put it down in ink too. It's not, I don't wrap everything up in some preconceived plan of song. Number one, will go like this song. Number two, we'll tell sure. this part of the story. It's not that kind of an album and that's not how I write. Um, but I felt like there was a storm at the heart of the album and Absolutely. it came through in a couple of songs and I only saw that later, yeah. which is an amazing thing. Yeah. You know, when I, when I was listening to river alone, I, I mm-hmm. you, you can see the storm clouds in the distance. It's, it's very oh, visceral. Cool. It's, it's so great. I mean, I really loved that. Um, mm. With, uh, with one song in particular, Basil mm. gone to blossom. <laughs> is that a saying you grew up with or something? Because the first time I heard it, I was like, that is so awesome. Just the title <laughs> alone. Well, it's not a saying. I was talking with some folks and sort of eavesdropped the line, honestly. Yeah. Um, I, we were out at a long dinner table and um, talking about New York City gardens. And I had at one point been keeping a fire escape, you know, pathetic garden. Sure. The best we can do alive. here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they lived in Brooklyn and they had a little more of uh, an expansive dirt. And I had just moved to Nashville and was bragging about how you just throw seeds out your window and stuff grows. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, I don't have a green thumb, but it, you wouldn't know it. Right, um, right. And um, this couple had said something about, well, their basil had gone to blossom back in Brooklyn. And I was what? And, oh, you know, so awesome. I wrote that line down later that night and I didn't get around to writing the song until I sat down on my couch and wrote it. And I I don't usually write so quickly either, but I sat down and I was thinking about that idea. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe it helped that it was New York and I could relate. And they weren't, they were such a happy couple. So of course I turned it on 
its head and it was yeah. a you know bitter lament and a, a love gone gone sad and sour <laughs> but to me that may i don't know i love how the old blue, bluegrass saying is um feeling good about feeling bad yeah. you know blues feels feels bad about feeling bad yeah. <laughs> and this song definitely um felt good about feeling bad um and there's absolutely i thought it was too lighthearted and too silly when i when i wrote it in that flash mm -hmm. i just kind of wrote it to to get it out on the page and once i started singing it though i felt like it might fit into it might fit into a playlist with something maybell carter might have written or with um other songs i like and i'm, I'm trying to be a little less um controlling of whatever these songs that come out i kind of let them be sure. you know and that's one of them it's so fun to play and where i tend to just look at or just gravitate toward the minor keys and the darker songs and the um maybe the less the mystery that's left in a song i <laughs> sometimes can't help myself and there's a little bit of a of the sunshine coming through <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta have a little bit of the light yeah exactly but you're more comfortable, kind of like you feel like your wheelhouse is in in those slightly darker uh, lyrics. May I don't know if it's the darker darkness of the lyrics. I think certainly the darkness of an old guitar. I have my recording king yeah. and that tuned down Kalamazoo. Those and I have a a new a new friend called <laughs> it's a banjo <laughs> guitar and it's another old pal. But there's just so much dirt on those strings and um and they're so much older than i am they I, they feel wiser so that's the stuff i'm attracted to and you know the old instruments i don't know what it is but you play an a minor and you can just play that all day right. it's a real <laughs> so, a minor <laughs> exactly so but um i nothing against that beat songs and i think a sunny song is harder to write honestly yeah, it's hard to get it right. It just is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you're recording King. I wanted to talk mm -hmm. about that. Sure. That that that's more than just an old guitar. How old, when is that guitar from? <laughs> 1939 is and, what I'm told. And how did you come across that beautiful instrument? I uh, was looking for a brand new guitar, uh -huh. considering my love of changing a capo every single song <laughs> and moving it up and down the neck. Sure, <laughs> sure. So all of my, you know serious guitar playing friends said you can't you can't mess around with a vintage guitar you're going to be drive yourself crazy with the tuning and mm -hmm. you know you'll never your song your set will be 45 minutes of tuning in right. one song hold on, me, <laughs> i just have to fix this one string hold on yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um so i put the word out to a lot of guitar players and i happened to be in boston and um yukon this great luthier who is and just a he's a wonderful person and he's a wonderful craftsman mm -hmm. based in Boston said you got to go to Music Emporium check out this recording king and I had said explicitly new guitar sort of like right. a J45 and okay. so he was like he knew, he had been to a bunch of my shows and he knew me and um, he knew this guitar had been sitting there for two years and I walked in I asked about it I um saw another guitar on the wall that I played for a second and I sat down with the recording King and I hate playing in guitar stores. I hate singing in front of people. There's sure. usually someone cranking an electric guitar and just bleeding through the walls and you can't hear yourself yeah, think, yeah. let alone hear the tone of a guitar. But I just went into my own world with this one and I'm singing 
unabashedly my my own songs. I was singing songs that were just coming to my mind. I was like, I felt like I started writing songs on it. <laughs> and I had never had that kind of feeling about a guitar. It was always like, you know, the cracker that you put the cheese on. You just, sure, the tr- cracker is just yeah. the vehicle for yeah. the, you, the cheese is the singing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I just no, I had you. a, anyway, super metaphor. I'm a songwriter. <laughs> have you, have I told you? It's, um, it's a, you, you know, that, that one just, that's not going to be on the next record. <laughs> You know, bring the cheese yeah. for your cracker. It's just, you know. It'll have to be a co-write, I guess. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so anyway, I just, I I left, um, I left without paying for the guitar, but with requiring them to, to hold it. And I think I, I walked out the door and then I walked back in and paid for the guitar. I couldn't leave it behind. Yeah. Um, it, but they were, they're you. such, yeah. And it had only, it had lived in Maine for a while with somebody, um, and it smelled like cigar smoke, uh-huh. which added to its, That's you know, so cool. yeah. its old man vibes. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love that guitar. It's it's gone everywhere with me. That's amazing, and that and that it's still <laughs> holding up. I mean, those those older mm-hmm. guitars. I mean, it's just it's the personality that they have. And you know, the the young guitars haven't figured out who they are yet. They're still settling in, and the old guitars have been so beat up that um, they are what they are. But I will say, I, I lucked into this one, and it's yeah. Um, it's been pretty consistent old guitar. A lot of folks, you know, shouldn't mess with an old guitar because they can be really cranky. Yeah, yeah. And what's wrong? The, that guitar was new at one point. You know, in, in 1939, it was in a mail order catalog and it was, I think, $35. And oh. and it was definitely never put on a guitar stand. There are some dings on there that um, it, was, it, was, it was always on the floor on its side. You can tell where it's rubbed off yeah. some polish. I just... It's got a story. Yeah, but that's what you want. You want you want a you want a guitar that's got a story to it. Yeah, I think it's that helps when you you feel like it has a personality. But I mean, I no, I wouldn't knock new guitars. I actually um, just heard from the Music Emporium, which was so cool to find out years later that the uh, Callings Company has made Waterloo guitar, which now I have one, which is an exact copy of my guitar. And Bill Collings used to come into the Music Emporium and say, this is the best guitar you've got. And they would hold up my my recording kit. <laughs> and he said he wanted it to bring it home. And he never did, as far as I know. But I think they, um, they copied that guitar exactly with their new uh, Waterloo Jumbo. And it huh. is amazing. And it plays so well. And if, if I were someone who was playing up the neck, you know, that would be the perfect guitar for me. I, I can, it's got a little more space to roam. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you sometimes just, I mean, when, when you're in a creative process, will you just sit there and just let the guitar speak to you and go wherever it wants to? I, I have two different modes. There's, you know, when I'm trying to buckle down and get to a deadline and finish something up, or there's a song that I don't want to let rot on the vine. So I've got to really, get to it and, and get it down. Um, but usually, you know, this just happened tonight. I just open a case and I hang with a guitar and something comes out of it. And it's, whether it was um, something I captured or not, it's just that they have their own songs that are coming out of them. You just have to be. Rather than the ones I'm putting in them. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got to just be open to, open to the moment when they're ready. I, I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you for making some time to chat. Really, of course. really love the record. I wrote, uh, I was writing a friend of mine to listen to it, and I said, uh, it's kind of a breakup record of longing, but it's more of a quiet middle finger than tears. Um, <laughs> it's, 
so. I love the quiet middle finger. Yeah, it's, I was just like, you know, and I think I wrote it. I think I wrote that when I was. Um, it was either during "On to You" um, mm-hmm. or the title track, and I was just like, yeah, this feels just like, you know, the the ex is walking out the door, and you're just sitting at the kitchen table with your feet up and just giving him the finger as he goes. <laughs> it's just the vibe I got, and I loved it. Maybe that's just me. I, I play out these scenes whenever I'm listening to music, and uh, I love it. Thanks again to Caitlin for making time. Be sure to check out Motel Bouquet, and you can find her at CaitlinCanty.com. That's C-A-I-T-L-I-N-C-A-N-T-Y. Now, before we wrap the episode, I do, of course, have your ear fuel listening assignment. For those of you new to the podcast, each episode I assign an album to listen to in full, beginning to end, without any distractions or interruptions. It stems from the fact that these days, music has been largely relegated to a background task. You're at the gym, you're driving, you're half on the phone, you're on the subway, whatever. And this assignment is about taking some time each week to consciously listen to music for the sake of the music alone. Now, since it's summertime, I'm going to take the next few episodes to assign the listening of some of my favorite records for this time of year. And maybe at the very top of that list is Dr. John's swampy, steamy, mysterious 1968 album, Gree Gree. They call me Dr. John, known as the Night Tripper. Got my satchel of Gree Gree. From the opening horn hand. line and just kind of how the record drops in, this album is all about mood and feeling. It's just, is dangerously badass a thing? If it isn't, it's a thing now because I feel like that's the best way to kind of sum up the beginning of this record. There's there's a little bit of mystery. It's a little bit dark, but it's totally badass and really mellow. I mean, as soon as the album starts, you, you can feel like an open fire, maybe a medicine man. Well, definitely a medicine man because it's definitely got that backwoods feeling and kind of a, a dim, almost shady uneasiness. I and mean, it's just so much mood and vivid imagery oozes out of this record in the best ways possible. But yeah, let's call it what it is. Dr. John is a bit of a medicine man and his Grigory, well, it's going to help you regardless of your illness. But it's more than just that first track. The entire record is just, it's a coolness that you don't really find elsewhere, both musically and, uh, let's make up a word, moodically. There's elements of jazz, blues, rock, funk, soul, folk, native tones, so many cool rhythms. I mean, there's just, there's so much combined here in a jambalaya that you're just going to love. If you don't know Dr. John, that that's a problem to begin with because there's so many great Dr. John records. So songs like Mama Roo just force you to dance. And, and, and overall, this record is just, it's enchanting and it's entrancing. You know, you've got I Walk on Gilded Splinters, which is as chilled out as you're going to find anywhere. And you can't help but sway along. And it's... It's the sort of record that really just envelops you. I know I keep saying the word cool, but but it's for a reason. When I think of the word cool in my head as it relates to music, two figures immediately pop to mind. One of them is Lou Reed. The other is Dr. John. And they're kind of, they're two opposite ends of the cool spectrum, I guess. And and it's not just by their personality or their, their the way they're visualized, but... It's the way their music comes off. And as soon as the first track on this record starts, I think you're going to understand what I mean. The orchestrations are outstanding. It, it's so much to sing and groove and just feel. And 
I mean, the bottom line, I guess, is that there's nobody else in history quite like Dr. John. Nobody's going to argue that. This album might be his masterpiece. He has a number of exceptional records. This one might be his masterpiece. It happens to be my favorite, and it is a perfect album for those sweaty summer nights or the ones where you're just kind of cooling out. Grigri is an album everybody needs to know and spin on a regular basis, so if you don't do that already, go take care of that right now. Thank me later. So that's all for this week. As always, the podcast is available in all of the podcasting apps you might use, as well as at GetEarFuel.com. And you can find me on Twitter under at GetEarFuel and at The Daily Guru. That's it for this edition of EarFuel. Share and enjoy. Enjoy.